The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash. This week, we dive into the topic of miscarriage. We go deep with Samantha Payne, co-founder and CEO of the Pink Elephant Support Network. Samantha opens up about her experience with pregnancy loss, how and why she established a support service for people affected by miscarriage. I want to start with Samantha's story. She writes, It started with the words, I'm sorry, there is no heartbeat, at a routine scan in August 2015. We had lost our baby. Given my nearly two-year-old was in the room, I put on a brave face and left the room in a blur trying to hide my pain and push back the tears. A deep-seated sadness sat inside me. My husband sent a text to our close family friends and they sent their condolences. We grieved alone, but together at home. My attention turned to my little girl, who was everything to me, and lifted my spirits gradually each day. I returned to work and focused on an up-and-coming holiday and preparing for Christmas. In January 2016, I discovered I was pregnant again, but this time, instead of joy and anticipation, I experienced elevated anxiety and fear of another loss. Nevertheless, statistics were on my side. I'd had my one in four, and this would be our second baby Earth side, due in September, when Georgie would be nearly three. Our first scan revealed a strong heartbeat, and we began sharing our happy news with family and friends. On holiday, a few weeks later, I started to spot. Lightly at first, and I prayed and willed this baby to be okay, and for it to be nothing more than a normal pregnancy spotting. However, with each day, it became heavier, and I just knew I was losing this baby too. I didn't share what was happening with anyone on holiday, not even my husband, as I didn't want to spoil their holiday with grief and loss. As soon as we arrived home, I broke down and confided in my husband that I was losing the baby and the next day it was confirmed via ultrasound. I left that appointment in a flood of tears, walking back to my GP with so much self-blame. What had I done to deserve this? That night at 3am, I woke up with contractions and hopped in the shower to ease the pain. It was then that I passed my baby alone in the shower. It was horrific. I had no idea how much blood was normal or what a 10-week-old fetus would look like or if I should flush it or should I keep it and bury it. No one had told me what to expect. No medical professional had offered me a place to find support. Google was the only place I could find answers. A few weeks after the initial stage of grief had lifted, I was angry at the lack of support and validation of my experience that I had received. It was not okay that I had been sent home to pass my baby alone and not referred for any emotional support. I knew I wasn't the only one. I'd seen at least 10 other women in the EPAS clinic the day my loss was confirmed, and that was just one clinic in one hospital in one country. How many more women must there be suffering in silence? Thankfully, I reached out through social media and found Gabby. She too had been through loss and understood my pain. We met for a coffee and she gave me the support I needed when no one else could. We both agreed that women needed and deserved more. And so Pink Elephants was born. 
Welcome. Thanks for having me. How has Pink Elephants grown since you met Gabby online? Did you meet her through social media? Uh, yeah. Which channel? Oh, wow. What, Facebook? Uh, Facebook. Um, it's been four years now. Literally been four years this week, which is crazy, right? Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, now four years ago, I'd just gone through my second miscarriage and I was um, feeling really isolated and really struggling and I didn't have anywhere that I could turn to for support. There was no support network such as the Pink Elephants. It didn't exist. Um, so I randomly stumbled across an anonymous post on a Facebook group and Gabby had posted a response that was just beautiful. And it is, if you ever get the pleasure of meeting Gabby, you'll, you'll understand what I mean, that she has amazing empathy in a way with people that alleviates a lot of stress. And I could sometimes read that through her response. So I, I sent her a message and said, can I have a coffee with you? I'm really struggling with this. And she, of course, responded like saying, yeah. And we worked out we lived in the same suburbs. It was really strange. And then we had a coffee, a local coffee shop. And she offered me peer support because she understood from her own lived experience of losses what it was like to be me right there, right then, and how all of the emotions that were running through my head and how I was feeling. And she got it. Like nobody else so far had understood it. So it was incredibly powerful and It was there and then that at the end of that kind of coffee, we said, this is something that all women should have. Like, this just makes sense. Everybody should have access to somebody who just gets it, who can really just understand the pain and the grief and the suffering. And it's not about them sharing their story to you. It's more about you understand that they know and you feel comfortable to share everything about this experience with that person. And that's where the idea for Pink Elephants came from. Wow. And why Pink Elephants? Why did you call it Pink Elephants? Um, so we knew that we wanted to be a support organisation specifically for early pregnancy loss because there was nothing out there. But we also knew that what we wanted to deliver was a support service that might had so much empathy, love and understanding around what it offered. And that doesn't kind of sit very well with Pregnancy Loss Support Australia or an acronym that means that. That wasn't didn't feel very us. Mm. So we began to research stories around loss and grieving and we found this beautiful story around an, an elephant community and what elephants do. And so within the elephant community, if a mother elephant loses her baby, the other elephants form a physical circle of support around her. Wow, is, that, is that all that, elephants? Yes, that's what they do. That's how they grieve. Um, so we read that and we were like goosebumps. So we were like, that's it. That, that's the animal that's us that embodies everything that we want to create is this beautiful circle of support when people need it most um, yeah and from there Pink Elephants came and yeah that's where it came from and why pink? I think we identified firstly that this is a female issue and that whilst we acknowledge that men grieve too and that men and partners have a certain experience of loss this is a women's health issue and one of the reasons that it's been under addressed for so long we believe is because it's a women's health issue so we're told to put up and shut up and there's lots of other things that happen in society I know that 25 years ago when I first got my periods and things it was like oh not painful periods are normal that's just part of being a girl it's part of being a woman and then only later on when things go wrong you realize that's not normal and that's just another woman's health issue that we're told to suffer in silence and not to share and not to talk about and that it's private so I think it was really important to us that we identified this first and foremost as a women's issue and pink was just the color that did that and then again we did more research and it was like Actually, pink has another meaning. It's the heart chakra and that's love and empathy again. So it just seemed to really embody and work really well with the pink elephants. 
I also really like that you do have a brochure on your website uh, that actually addresses the partner. So mm, yeah. uh, could you tell us a bit more about what what's in that partner advice pamphlet? Sure, absolutely. So again, whilst we are, first and foremost, we support women who go through this. We understand that men grieve too, partners grieve too. Um, we understand that this is an issue that also addresses same-sex couples as well. So we didn't want it to be a male bespoke resource. We knew that it needed to be a partner support resource and we uh, intentionally created it that way. And the purpose behind that resource is to explain to them what their partner will be going through through a miscarriage because whilst we understand in society that miscarriage is common, we often know nothing else about it. So for me, I'd understood the word miscarriage meant that you lost a baby. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand there were different types of miscarriage. I didn't understand how long a miscarriage can go on for. I didn't understand the emotional impact of miscarriage. And what we often see within couples, and we ran focus groups when we first started, and this is a theme that was very clear and evident, is that couples lose the ability to communicate because they grieve differently. So we thought it was really important that if we're going to share resources that support the woman through her loss, and we also need an additional resource that enables her partner to be empowered to support her as well, and just to have a better understanding of what's potentially going on for her. Um, so it's got some really useful things in it, like what to say, because um, we're all, again, about empowering rather than telling people what not to do. Because um, we believe, again, this is just an issue that's been overstated for so long. It's not an intentional people doing the wrong thing. It's just that, oh, we have an assumption that miscarriage is supported and dealt with. We don't realize that actually, no, that's not the case. So a big part of the work that we do is education and awareness. And do you still run the focus groups? Uh, we haven't done them for a while now. We still evidence-based our research um, in that we're forever running online surveys. We're looking at some semi-structured interviews in the next couple of years for different projects that we're running. We definitely believe that this is a huge issue. So if it's one in four pregnancies ending loss before 12 weeks, there's a huge question. If you translate that to Australia, that's one in three women will go through this. So we knew from the beginning that when we were setting an organisation that we needed to evidence-base the need for emotional peer support. So it was really important to us and that's why we started with focus groups and we ran surveys online and we continue to do that and we've actually got a senior researcher, Dr Melanie Keep, who's from the University of Sydney and she's part of our board now because that's how much we value the power of research and just really listening to our communities and understanding their experience because Miscarriage is individual and the way it impacts all of us is very different. And some of us need more support, some of us need less support and that's okay. And what does that support look like? What would work for you may not work for me. And again, that's okay, but we can't understand that unless we're going out constantly speaking to our community. So yeah, research is something that we, we do a lot of, yeah. And what have you found recently in your research that's impressed you or made you go, wow? So I think there's two key things with research for me. One that we did originally ourselves because we set this up as two women who've gone through it. We didn't really understand the power of having things backed by ethics committees and universities. So we ran a survey ourselves and just literally pushed out five questions on SurveyMonkey. And this was going back two and a half years ago now. And we had 1,700 women fill in that survey which is phenomenal. So 1,700 women took the time to share with us their experience of early pregnancy loss. And that to us highlighted the incredible need and the desire for women to want to share their experience and an, a deep-seated understanding when you go through this that the lack of support is not okay. And the fact that we're in 2020 now and it's 
it's still a huge number of women feel unsupported through this. And again, that's not okay. So what came from that research was that 75% of women feel unsupported through early pregnancy loss. And I think whilst we knew that, deep down, we understood that was it was a huge issue. I think that was a big wake-up call for us just the sheer scale of this problem and the lack of acknowledgement, the lack of validation that miscarriage even matters. There's this whole thing that, oh, well, at least you know you can get pregnant or at least it happened early. And we really, really uh, deal with grief very poorly in general, but with miscarriage, it's even worse. It's viewed as if it doesn't matter by society. And that's really heartbreaking to the woman who's going through it. And so from that research, we just knew we had so much work to do. Um, So that was great because it gave us a huge inspiration if you like um, and then last year we also ran some research with the University of Melbourne and that research same sort of figures were coming out 88% of women want a referral for peer support after an early pregnancy loss and the women themselves are not it's not about where that referral comes from because what we want to do as an organisation is we want to champion change within health services within workplaces within online communities within legislation because this is a cultural issue that we all need to step up and address because we all know someone who's gone through this heartbreak. Um, so it's about identifying those different areas. And yeah, I think research tells such strong stories and gives you such clear like place to start to build a service, to start to challenge the status quo. And is that where you got the idea to enable people to share their stories on your website? Because I know that people can do that. Mm. Is that right? No, we, we already were always going to do that. Um, we, we kind of understood the power in sharing because that was also part of the power of a connection. And there's a healing journey in that, that it's when you're ready and there's a catharticism from it. So we did always want to do that. But again, yeah, I think that also definitely started to scale significantly when we pushed out research because then people understood that actually we're listening and we really are listening to everything that you say and we read every single response and we take the time appropriately to analyze all of that and then to have time to process it and to decide well what's the need so again another clear finding that came out to us was that we were spending far too much time working with early pregnancy assessment services when we weren't focusing on GPs because actually a huge portion of women have their miscarriage confirmed by a GP and they're walking away from their GP appointment with no further referral for support. So we identified then that we needed to build a GP outreach program and we needed to engage GPs so that they understand we're a service that's there to support them because, again, they run extremely busy, crazy jobs and yet they don't have anywhere to send anyone who's going through early pregnancy loss. And that's not okay either. So what we wanted to do is provide a clear referral pathway. And also then we wanted to produce documentation, produce resources, which can be housed at GPs. But then if you're sat in a waiting room, you can access. And then you understand that we can reach you that way as well. So for our listeners, can you outline, you know, if I'm, if I'm a woman, I've gone to my GP to figure out what I'm going to do about this miscarriage. I've just had an ultrasound. It says there's no fetal heartbeat. Yeah. What can I expect from my GP in terms of options? Uh, so it's a difficult one because it's so varied. And it's something, this is another area that we do want to research deeper. Um, but generally what happens with a lot of women who have that experience is then they're referred on to an early pregnancy assessment service. And it's the early pregnancy assessment service that then provides them with the options that they have. And it really all falls around what type of miscarriage you're having. So if you've presented at a scan expecting to see a heartbeat and there isn't a heartbeat, that's generally referred to as a missed miscarriage. 
which can be completely devastating and absolutely flooring because you're going in there thinking you're still pregnant. You often still feel pregnant. You still have morning sickness. Your boobs are still swollen. You're still very tired. And you're expecting to go and see your baby for the first or second time on a screen with a heartbeat. And you you walk out and it, from personal experience for me, it was like a trap door just fell and you fell through it and there was nobody there to catch you. And so there's that type of miscarriage. And then for that, for an EPAS, clinic would then discuss options such as, do you want to have a procedure where they remove your baby? Um, and that's a medical procedure. There may be where you can take certain drugs to bring on the miscarriage naturally yourself at home. But I think what we all need to get better at understanding is that there's lots of different types of miscarriage and that they affect women in very different ways and that also that women do have choices as to how they want to continue with a miscarriage. And there needs to be a lot more information around that. And whilst we provide emotional support for when you're going through that connection to other women who've also been through a similar experience to you, what we don't offer is personal healthcare advice. We always refer back to health professionals for that because that's their job. That's correct. It's our job. It's um, and I, I, I kind of I kind of wonder if we're doing uh, the best job we possibly can. Mm. Uh, yeah, I yesterday it was only yesterday I I had a call just before I was to leave work from a patient of mine mm. who has had IVF treatment under my care, and she's she's got a beautiful boy, and uh, we transferred a single embryo. A few weeks ago, pregnant twins, so the embryo had split and Mm -hmm. uh, she felt great. But then yesterday had a scan and no fetal heart, one or two. So she'd lost both. And uh, all I could say was, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, I've known this woman for a few years now and, you know, you really did upset me. And, uh, and then the yeah. first thing after that, the first thing I thought about is, okay, how many embryos have we got in the fridge? You know, I kind mm. of went to the next step, which was, yeah, you I suppose, yeah, and hope, I, you know, I hope, and, I, yeah. and I'm like, oh, excellent, she's got two. But what I found was that maybe I didn't sit with her long enough to mm. grieve what she was going through yesterday. And uh, she was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll come and see you and we'll talk about next steps. And then I thought to myself, oh, maybe we should have just like sat with the, that moment for a bit rather than talking mm. about the future so quickly but it's it's human instinct to want to do that isn't it yeah it is absolutely and I think also we can then read too much into it and start to put ourselves in this place of powerless where we're unsure what to say so we say nothing and that's actually worse I think many women do still want the hope um even after the heartbreak of a miscarriage ultimately we felt pregnant because we wanted a baby so I think there's still an element of hope and we definitely talk about rainbow babies and we have a whole preconception of a group which is for women who are trying to conceive again after loss but I do think generally as a society and generally within health services yes there needs to be more of a validation of the emotional impact of early pregnancy loss and to her to that woman yesterday that two babies she was fully anticipating to go in and see two heartbeats and then all of a sudden in one cruel very quick moment that's completely over and it's a future that you imagined in the next six to nine months that you'd planned out and mapped out in your head that you'd talked about with your partner and what were names and okay baby will be due in September time and all of this world that you just imagine and it's real and it's very real and it's happening and then all of a sudden it's not And I think what we need to all get better at is allowing ourselves the time to process that because it's really difficult and to be able to sit with it. 
But I think for health service professionals, respectful of the jobs that you do and having to deal with this on a daily basis often, I think there is a lack of awareness in A, how it can impact yourself, and then there becomes an element, I think I've heard the term banded around of compassion fatigue, which I'm not sure I'm a big fan of at all. Um, but I think that what there needs to be just clear referral pathways because we can pick up that side of things as long as the health service professionals are providing the validation. I'm really sorry you're going through this. This is really awful. But we're here for you if you need any additional support. And when you're ready, we can talk about next steps and what you'd like to do. But for now, here you go. We can send you over to the Pink Elephant Support Network. You can connect with other women who've had lived experience of this, if that's what you want. And they may not even be ready for us within those first few days. They may just want to go home and be completely devastated and completely alone by themselves. And that's okay too. I think we need to get better at actually listening to what women need and reading the cues that they give us at the time. I did send her to your website, um, mm. but I didn't actually specify where to go on your website. What should I have said to her? Um, so for someone, is, it's really difficult. So we've got a few different areas that she could come to us. If she comes to the website, you can actually find everything. So the website is miscarriagesupport.org.au and you'll find our resources are on the front page because that's the first thing that people need to read and need to hear and understand the first resources, sorry, for your loss. Because for us and from the focus groups, we identified that a big part of the first part of the trauma of early pregnancy loss is when you walk away and you feel like nobody else actually cares that you're going through this, nobody else even understands and nobody else offers you any help at all. So we wanted to ensure that we are there on that front line and we, so that's why we distribute those resources. But I know now that we are sending, I had a chat with Katie, who's our hospital's manager, and I know that we're sending resources to your clinic now so that if that happens again, then if they're with you face-to-face, you can give them a resource there and then. If it doesn't, just a direction back to our website. And then from our website, they can find our online support groups. Um, and our online support groups are currently on our social media via Facebook. They're private, they're closed. You can access them by searching for them and via our page, which is at Pink Elephant Support. And from there, then you can really start to build some connections with other women. And those communities are absolutely beautiful. And they're really heartwarming as much as it's a very difficult subject that we deal with. The way that other women pick each other up through this is incredibly inspiring. And it's exactly what Gabby offered to me four years ago, but we see it happen daily online for each other. And that's, yeah, it's a really beautiful part of the work that we do. And thank you for doing it. I mean, it's much needed. Um, Mm. On your website, can you see which of the brochures that you've got is downloaded the most? Yeah, absolutely. So the partner support resource. Is that right? Which is really, yeah. So that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, So we find that we think that there's a search. We can look through our SEO and search words and men are actually searching to do with and partners what miscarriage is, um, what's happening to them. And then they find our website and then they go to the partner resource. That's the most downloaded Mm. resource. And then the next section that's the most downloaded is the about us section, which I always find really odd. (laughs) Like, Why do you want to know that? Um, But I think that what actually, when you unpack that a little bit, it's that people really value that Gabby and I set this up from a place of we've been there, we get this, we know how awful this can be and that's why we have the drive and the determination to do this every day. So I think there's there's something in that. Um, but yeah, that one and then the It's Okay resource is probably the third thing that comes up and I think that's just a really beautiful sentiment in it that's simple and easy to read. 
Then another thing that when we were writing the resources originally back around three and a half years ago, we identified that some places, some clinics do give you some resources, but they're very text heavy. They're very clinical. And they may be like a dictionary, for example, of what ERPC means. But I actually don't care that ERPC means evacuation of remaining products of conception because as a mother to a baby who I've just lost, that term doesn't sit well with me. It actually mm. upsets me. And I understand that within the medical professional, there's a need for that on farms, but I, I do not believe that that needs to be used with me. So we didn't want to create that. That's not what we're about. Um, so for us, it was around using soft, nurturing, understanding language that anyone can read. And yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. It's not about the clinical. And again, that speaks to what I said to earlier that you're a clinical professional, you get to explain that side of things because you're the experts there, we're absolutely not and we never want to step into that territory. And I think just now, I, from now on, I'm not going to use the products of conception ever again because the way you put it just now makes me think it actually is a terrible mm-hmm. thing, isn't it? It's a very cold yeah. clinical thing to say. Yeah. So what should, I, should, what should I say? Uh, well, for us, it's baby. Baby, yeah. Uh, yeah, because to the woman and the partner who sat there in front of you or on the phone, for them, they've lost a baby. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason why miscarriage is such a disenfranchised grief because we're really bad in society of recognising it as the bereavement of parents and the loss of a baby. And to those that are going through it, that's what it is. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think there could be so much research into the language of um, early pregnancy loss. And this is another thing in terms of even if you look upwards and outwards, uh, we're starting to connect with lead researchers now and it's part of the work I'll be doing with Washpat this year. But um, there really isn't very much research even into miscarriage. There's a huge headway happening in terms of why miscarriage happens, the science side of things. But in terms of the psychosocial impact of early pregnancy loss, we're really only starting to scratch the surface and to look at that now. And there was a, an amazing study that came out from Professor Tom Bourne um, at the Imperial College of London earlier this year around directly linking miscarriage to trauma. And nine months after an early pregnancy loss, a significant portion of those women still were symptomatic for trauma and anxiety. Mm. Nine and months so, marking the time at which what that baby would have been in the real world on this side. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So how, so how do you done. mark your losses? Like, how did you mark yours? You've got a pamphlet um, on that as well, don't you? Yeah, we do. We have, that's a new resource, marking a loss. And hands up, I was terrible at this. I didn't do it. I um, My way of marking a loss, I now would retrospect and probably say it was creating an organisation such as this. This is my legacy piece to the babies that I lost to miscarriage, but it's also my legacy piece to my daughter now because I'll be damned if she has a miscarriage in 30 years' time and is treated as poorly as I was. So I will that that side of things, but in terms of marking the actual losses of my babies through miscarriage, I really struggled with it because the first one I was I believed what society told me, and that it's common and you'll get over it and you'll have another baby and you'll be fine, and it's just your bad luck. It's just one in four. Um, despite the fact that everything inside of me was screaming that doesn't feel right, I put that brave face on and I I played that role, and then when we had another miscarriage six months later. I couldn't do that anymore. And I'm quite a vocal person. I'm not known for being shy or quiet. And I got angry and I got really annoyed. And then for me, that's where this came from because I think that women deserve much, much better than what they're currently getting. 
Um, but what we now know that's healthy because we've now done a lot of work with bereavement counsellors who've helped us set up our peer support programmes is that it's really healthy to mark the loss of your baby. And that might be as simple as having a ceremony at home with just you and your partner. You may write a letter to the baby. You may plant a tree. You may get some flowers. You may go for a walk somewhere and have a special spot. Um, because again, it's very difficult because if you have a later term loss, you're offered a whole range of things that miscarriage patients aren't offered. So if you have a later term loss, you receive a birth and a death certificate. You are given an option with a funeral home to have a service. Whereas women with early pregnancy loss are just not generally offered that. I mean, we've found that in this area where we're based is in Sydney, is that there's a beautiful crematorium near to us. And what they do is they actually hold a monthly service. And I'm sure that if women look out and, Within our online communities, women do actually share their local services. But the service is all around where you can present, you can come to the service, you and your partner, any point throughout the year. It doesn't have to have been the most recent month that you've had your loss. And you get to just be part of a service that acknowledges that you've lost a baby. And that, for example, at my crematory, what they do is you can write a note and you post it in a letterbox. And that every month that letterbox of letters are actually cremated and those ashes um, scattered around the gardens. And it's a beautiful garden. And I think that that's such a beautiful way that we need to all, as a society, start to get better at towards trying to help women be able to be given those options because it's really cathartic and it's really healing and it validates again that early pregnancy loss is bereavement. Can you share where that crematorium is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the name, I can't think of the name because of where I live. So it's in towards Little Bay area, okay. um, Eastern Suburbs Crematorium, and they've actually got one in the Shire, Warrenora Crematorium. Great. Um, both of those, and they're owned by the same company, Southern Cemeteries Trust, I think it is. Okay, we'll it's put them. that in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, definitely, at. and they've They've also got a beautiful um, dandelion statue there and that's also part of the fact of an acknowledgement that often couples who go through early pregnancy loss don't actually have, if you like, a, a gravestone or an area to go and revisit so that they make that purposeful for that purpose. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, did you get any workup? So after you'd had your losses, had you seen mm-hmm. a specialist or a doctor for investigation as to why you were having those losses? Yeah, I did, but I had to fight. Um, so I wasn't, um, so I'd already had a daughter. Georgie was two by this point. Um, so I was, after my first loss told, it's one in four, it's, it's, we don't test, it's fine, it's just, you'll just have a D and C and you'll be okay. And I took that as, as a healthcare professional telling me that that's okay. When it happened again a few months later, I was like, no, I, I actually haven't felt right since the birth of my daughter, but I'd never know how to say it because it was a lot of little things that hadn't felt right for me. Um, and again, you just get on with life and you just think that you're just a tired mum <laughs> because you're meant to be tired, right? That's what society tells us. Um, so after my second loss, I went to, um, a, at the time, an obstetrician and that obstetrician said, no, you can't have any tests because you've not had three miscarriages. And I got really upset in that appointment and questioned whether he had wife and whether he had children. And at that point, he did it. He had a wife, but he didn't have children. And I said, well, you're not the right obstetrician for me because at the end of the day, I actually really need someone to look into this doing now. I went back to my GP, who was amazing, um, and agreed to do blood on me with a naturopath as well. So I didn't even know what a fertility specialist was at this point. I didn't think it was anything that I needed because we already had a child. 
Um, and then we found a few other things, nothing significant. I made some lots of lifestyle changes before I was willing to try again. And I don't honestly think that there's a magic pill that just makes you have a baby. I know that. But I think for me, it was about an element of taking some control back in a period of such uncertainty and doubt. And we desperately wanted a sibling, another baby. And we were really struggling with the fact that we couldn't put ourselves back in the game again to try again, knowing that we potentially would have another miscarriage if we hadn't done absolutely everything we could within our powers. So we certainly did the whole get very healthy, take lots of supplements, everything on that side of things. And whether that was it or not, you know, we will never know. Johnny, who is my baby, born after loss, my little rainbow boy, um, he may have just been the one that was meant to be. And I'm very careful of how we share that because I know that so many women who are right there then, where I was four years ago, and it still hurts me now, um, they want a magic pill and there isn't one. But what I do advocate for is go and see a fertility specialist. Um, I wish I had done sooner. I wish I would even known that they existed. Um, advocate for yourself. And if something doesn't feel right, be tested. Because it's surely better to be tested and to be empowered with education and information than it is to go blindly again and potentially end up where you are. So it's, it's such a difficult subject and it's such a personal one. But yeah, I personally don't believe in three miscarriages before you're tested. It makes me very angry. Um I, I agree I with you on that one. Hard, isn't it? Right. I was like, what's your thought on it? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, look, even if when I see a woman after after one, I have a discussion mm. with her about the pros and cons of testing and I, mm. I, I work it out with a woman because, yeah, where does yeah. that number come from, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, um, is there actual evidence based to the number three, or because it, it feels very much just like a number someone picked out of a hat and said you have to have three, and mm. it feels I'm going to say this again, but it feels like it's a, a certain man may have made a decision based around yeah, you can have three miscarriages and that's fine, mm. with no consideration of the emotional impact. Like if I'd have had a third miscarriage, I'm not sure I would have got back up again. Mm. Like it was that, and I think there needs to be a really deep understanding around that before we send women away so you have to have a third. Yeah, I think yeah. three is too much. If I'd, I, I've not had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. um, but if I'd had three and then it was allowed that I'd be, you know, okay to do testing, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd be annoyed with the system. Yeah. And I think yeah, it's a matter absolutely. of finding someone you can work with. And a lot of women do work with their naturopaths and their natural health physicians before they come to us, the fertility specialist, yeah. for example. So I think yeah. they, they provide a very valuable surface, service. Mm. Um, a question, your partner, did he have work up as well? Or was yeah. it mainly so? Yeah, great. Okay, excellent. Because I think yeah, a lot no, of people was, forget the role that men's health, yeah, sperm health too, uh, plays in too, pregnancy right? loss. Yeah, absolutely. So he... Um, and we're both English, so imagine the diets that we grew up on, right? Anyone English listening will laugh at that. Um, but we, um, yeah, so for me at the time, I did blame myself. But then when I, luckily my GP was like, well, it takes two. And my GP was absolutely beautiful and amazing. And then the natural was also the same. So we both had blood workups. And like I said, there wasn't anything major. There was some inflammatory markers, which we reduced with diets. Um, and then I think my husband as well, he went on the whole naturopath route with me. I know that I didn't like did the whole just green spinach and very little that could possibly impact me. I gave up coffee, alcohol, all of everything. 
Um, and my husband did too. I think he probably had a sneaky beer at work and didn't tell me <laughs> and probably had coffee. Um, but he did. What was really important for me is that we were in this together and we took those measures and steps together and we took our supplements together every morning. And it, it showed me that it wasn't just me doing this, that he was there with me. And I don't think I've actually ever said thank you for that. But yeah, I should thank you for that because I know that that's not common either. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of women who come in, pregnancy mm-hmm. losses, they've come in without their partners and I'm like, why isn't he here? No, you know, no, he was with me, yeah. Or, and they yeah. would say, oh, he, didn't, he doesn't think the problem is with me or um, he's mm. too busy, he's at work. And mm-hmm. it really breaks my heart. And then when you eventually see, because I insist that the partner comes, when he does yeah. come, it's not unusual to see that he's overweight, he's smoking. Oh, uh, like you know, come. It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And and I think that also, again, comes from this whole myth that creating a baby is a woman's issue. It's a woman's health thing. It's women, women, women. So therefore, we don't realize it takes men too. Um, And it does. And yeah, male sperm can impact as well. Um, I think there's, I know that there's a brilliant organization that we learned of last year, um, Fertility Matters. Um, They educate young people on fertility. Fertility Matters, is it? Yeah, and I was like, absolutely love it. Of course that's needed, right? Because part of this issue that we're not addressing either, and it's not something that we address as an organisation because it's not within our mission, but is that women are and couples are leaving having children later and later in life because we're told to go and fill at 16, get a degree, travel the world, have an amazing gap year, have an amazing comeback, get an amazing career, get married, find the money you're doing, get married, have buy a house and then have children. <laughs> so there's like this big, huge 20 years of, where we've got to achieve everything and that's what we're told by society is valid and the right thing to do. And then we hit 35 and go, okay, well, now we'll have a kid. And we don't realise that actually your eggs have started to decrease and that you have a less chance of a healthy pregnancy. I had no idea, no idea. No one had ever told me that. I thought I'd done all of the right things. And I felt that being on the pill for all those years was the right thing for me as well. I didn't, you just don't know. And I think that there's a lot, there's a huge gap there and a lot of work to be done. And they're amazing for what they're doing there as well. Don't get me started on the pill. That's just all of a discussion. No, no, that one. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and I think what's yeah. also important is knowing, okay, uh, my vision is to have four children. So if mm. I have that vision, I should start earlier. And I think mm-hmm. that conversation doesn't happen enough. Uh, no. And I often say to my, ask my patients, how many kids do you want? And mm-hmm. if they say one, and that's... That's not usual. Most people, I, most people want Two. more than one. Yeah, mm. I'm like, tell me the truth. Tell me, you want more than one, and most people do. And and it's yeah. almost like they're too afraid to actually speak the truth and speak what they really yeah. want. Um, yeah. So particularly because if they've got to you, they've probably gone through a year of not being able to fall pregnant. So then they're even like the in their wildest dreams to have one child is one child. They've kind of dashed their dreams that were there before that. It's, yeah, it's mm. hard, right? I always thought I'd have three children and we really struggle with that because I wanted three children. That was in my head that when I would grow up, I'd be surrounded by children and grandchildren and this big house. And that was just always part of our vision. And there is no way I'm ever going down the route of trying to be pregnant ever again, because I I was in the darkest place I've ever been. Mm. And I think there's also, there's there's been a grief process to myself as a mum and like grieving the fact that that was what I thought I would have. And if we look at Gabby's story, who founded this with me, Gabby had six miscarriages, mm. years of IVF. And then she, she's got three beautiful boys, but they finished on miscarriages. 
And I think there's a massive unspoken part there that, yes, we want to give women hope and that 80% of women that have a miscarriage will go on and have a healthy full-term pregnancy. And that's absolutely beautiful and fabulous. And we need to share that for the hope and the inspiration. But there's also a portion of women that that doesn't happen and that they either have involuntary childlessness and they have to rewrite their whole life story and what a healthy, mm. amazing life for them looks like. Or we have women that don't go on and have the, they had a dream of three children and they may only have one. And society tells them, well, at least you have one. You're lucky because you have one. And I absolutely know how lucky I am to have the children that I have. But I also will always have a part of me that will always be sad because it wasn't what I thought I would have. Mm. And that's okay. That's right. I'm not feeling guilty for feeling that way either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. and that's, a, that's huge to get to that point, to not feel guilty, yeah. Um, mm. I was going to ask if you could share a story, a, a feel-good, positive story, but it sounds like Gabby's story is pretty positive and feel-good. So after six miscarriages, were they consecutive miscarriages? Yeah, so Gabby's story, she finished on miscarriages, but, but it is still, she's in a beautiful place now. So she had Josh when she was in her early 20s, um, had him very easily, no issues whatsoever, and then she remarried in her 30s and met Cam, her husband now, and they began trying for a child and it wasn't as easy that time around. Again, the whole age issue comes into play when none of us are told that it'll be an issue, right? Mm. Um, so they did seek fertility treatment, went down IVF. I don't know, I can't remember how many rounds Gabby had had. Eventually they had to naturally. It just happened. You, you know, you hear those stories of they stop and then it happens. Um, and then straight, she was about eight months old, I think, and she fell pregnant again, but miscarried that baby, and that was her first miscarriage. Um, and then she went on and transferred another embryo, which was believe one of the last embryos, and that was their beautiful boy Samuel, who's here now. Um, what's actually really funny about Gabby and I is that both our boys, both our rainbow babies, are both born on the 2nd of March. <laughs> So there is something about the universe you live in that we were meant to meet <laughs> It's <up>. pretty amazing. <laughs> really that. amazing, right? And love then, it. Just, yeah. Um, and then she, they wanted another child after Samuel and they finished on miscarriages. They had another a third of five miscarriages. Mm. And they had to make the decision to stop. Um, and I, it's, it's difficult. It's not an easy decision, right? But then she's lucky in terms of, yeah, that's three beautiful, happy and healthy boys. But yeah, there needs to be an understanding that it's difficult to finish on miscarriages. I think we've got beautiful stories though as well. I mean, not that Gabby is not, but we do, we've supported so many women now, thousands of women have come to our online communities and by our um, phone-based peer support as well. And we get beautiful testimonials back now. Um, like, and we get them do amazing things just happen. So we had a man called Demir. We supported his wife through miscarriages and he read our partner support resource. And we didn't even know. And she'd been through our groups and now they've got two beautiful babies. But he basically ran the Melbourne Marathon for us and raised $3,000. <laughs> Because oh. that's how much we supported him. <laughs> we were like, wow. Like you don't, I don't think we quite realised the ripple effect of what we were starting up when we did do this. And now we just see it. We've got this amazing community that all have each other's backs. And it's kind of the circle of support is that they, they'll accept our help. They're fully supported by each other within those groups and our peer support ambassadors. And then when they do come out the other side and they have these beautiful rainbow babies, they find a way to give back and that's either through doing a fundraiser for us or donating to us or for example a lot of that we did a beautiful partnership with Love to Dream the rainbow baby swaddles and um, so the swaddles that make your baby sleep that zip up we've got a beautiful rainbow baby one and we did that together with them and 
we just try and find ways that we can celebrate the happy endings as well because we can acknowledge that we've been through dark and difficult times but a lot of us do end up there as well and that they're, they're beautiful and it's special and we should do right absolutely I also noticed on your website, uh, Blackmore's, the marathon, Blackmore's Marathon, people can raise yeah. money yeah, for absolutely. your organisation by running yeah, that definitely. race. Yeah, so we've, done, we've had quite a lot of people do running for us. I think it's a, a cathartic thing as well. <laughs> um, mm. And we have a lot of men that do that. They feel like, okay, this is something I can do because men generally want to fix things and they go even a different way. About the beautiful way that they can be involved and support the partner. So yeah, you can absolutely run any event for us. Um, we have a platform by if you go into our fundraising section of our website, you can click through there and there's lots of advice. We also do things like coffee for a cause. So you can have something really simple like a coffee morning at home with your friends. So if you've got a friend who's gone through loss and you want to show them some support and be there for them, this is a really beautiful way to do that. You can have a coffee morning at home, doesn't need to be super big or anything, and you can all chip in, say, $20 to Pink Elephants, and then all of a sudden you've raised $100 to Pink Elephants. And for us, we're still a really young and small organisation, um, so it's, any donation has a huge impact on the work that we can do. So we're, we're currently supporting around 2,000 couples a month, but there's 8,500 couples a month who go through this. <laughs> so we have a huge way to go. And huge. how many people work for Pink Elephants? We've got, at the moment, four of us. Um, and then we have a team of around 12 ambassadors who are all women who've been through early pregnancy loss and they choose to volunteer for our organisation by supporting others, either over the phone or via our online community. And how does a woman become or apply to become an ambassador? We've actually got another training session coming up in May. So we will, if you keep an eye on our socials on at Pink Elephant Support, we'll put a post up there. And then you can also find it via our website. If you go to peer support on our website, you'll see an application form. You have to be at least two years since your last loss and not currently trying to conceive. Um, and that's our duty of care to you because if you're still within that period, we believe that you actually still need some support from us and that we'd love you to give back in the future. But right now, please just accept our support. And that's, that's really important for us that we have a duty of care to anyone who is involved with Pink Elephants because we're all women who've been there. We know what it's like. Mm. And hence mm. your, um, I mean, obviously you're doing a lot with social, with, with groups, with community, which is amazing and what is much needed uh, has that? How, how did you end up with a social change fellowships at Westpac or with Westpac? Amazing! Um, this is just going to be the best year because of this. I'm so excited about Westpac. And um, so, what happened was um, Melanie, who's part of our board, noticed that there was an application process where you could basically apply to be a Westpac social change maker, and a Westpac social change maker is someone that's making a difference within like society and who's changing up things for the better. And what they do is they provide you with funds to educate yourself, develop your leadership skills, go through amazing courses and also a travel grant to be able to travel and meet lead practitioners, researchers in your field. And I read it and I was like, I'm not applying for that. We're nowhere near ready. They're never going to choose me. That's not going to happen. And then Melanie was very persistent that no, we would fill this in and we would do it. And if we don't get it, we'd do it again the next year. But I'm like, literally the day before, I was like, okay, so I did it. And then I kept getting through. There's about five rounds. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I kept pinching myself going, this is not real. And then, then, yeah, just before Christmas, we found out that I was through and we weren't allowed to tell anybody until February. So it was really like secret. And you've got this huge, exciting thing that's going to happen for you next year and you can't tell anyone. Um, but it's incredible. So what 
depending on what's happening with corona, it may get delayed, but I'm going to be during the month of August and September and October traveling internationally across Europe and October to meet lead researchers into early pregnancy loss, to meet other lead organizations such as Tommy's in the UK and Cradle in the US, who are doing amazing work. Um, around early pregnancy loss and later term loss as well. And just to try to join the dots with this because there's quite a lot of organisations out there doing lots of work. But I think that what's needed is that collaboratively, can you imagine the systemic change that we could create? Because we have a huge amount of following from the US and the UK and the impact is exactly the same. There is also very limited support in those countries as new things popping up, which we're extremely supportive of. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited that I'll get to go and travel and meet all these amazing people that are doing amazing things in this space and come back and see how we can utilise that to support Australians. So, yeah, it's going to be a great year. <laughs> when you described how that process happened, you know, when you said that you found out but you couldn't really tell anyone, it's almost like <laughs> get women when fall pregnant, they find out, they're very excited, but they feel like they can't tell anyone until that 12-week mm. scan that's the yeah. first thing I thought about as you described it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what an amazing thing to be able to do. And I, I almost feel like I, I want to apply for one of those fellowships as well. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. I was like, really? Someone's going to pay me to travel and meet all these people? I'm like, really? Uh, it's incredible. Like, I'm going to Harvard Business School. If you told me that, like, four years ago, you decided to set this up and that's where you'll be. I'd never have believed it in a million years. Uh, but the impact it can have for us is going to be incredible. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Tell us about fertility in the workplace. Oh, wow. Um, so we, again, came from research. We came from listening to uh, women in our online communities that they stories kept popping up about, do I take sick leave? Or like, I've run out of sick leave. What, what do I do? And uh, my boss is being really horrible with me around this and I'm using, a, I'm replacing a certain word there. Um, and... I don't know how to handle this at work or no one's recognizing this and what, how do I tell anyone at work? So we started to do some research and I rang up for work Australia and I said, well, what's the legislation? And they were like, what for? And I was like, miscarriage. And they were like, miscarriage of justice. And I was like, no, early pregnancy loss, miscarriage. And it took me about 45 minutes on the phone with Fair Work Australia to uncover that there is no legislation for miscarriage at all. Mm. So currently within Australia, if you have a miscarriage, you're not eligible for anything other than sick leave. Unless you have an extremely compassionate boss or manager who's going to turn a blind eye and allow you to go through with compassionate or bereavement leave. The issue with that is that when you're in the depths of grief and you've just lost the baby that you thought you'd have in your arms in the next six to nine months, you're not in the position to fight for yourself and say, actually, I need that. So as part of our organisation, we decided that that's something we can do. We can collectively come together and we create a campaign leave for loss. Um, we've submitted a case to Christian Porter's office whereby we believe early pregnancy loss needs to come under the Compassionate and Bereavement Leave Act. And it's a single amendment to an existing act, which is not a huge deal. Um, New Zealand have this bill tabled and it's been discussed this year in Parliament. India and the Philippines already have this in place. So from the policy change, we then decided, okay, well, what else do workplaces need? Because this is an area that it's an issue that is impacting most people at a certain age in your life when you still have huge workforce participation. So we decided to look at that a little bit. And again, identified that most workplaces, in addition to having no policy, actually have no way to handle anybody who has a miscarriage or is struggling to conceive and utilizing assisted conception. 
and all of the appointments and things that you have to go to, women are secret squirreling. They're hiding these things and they're petrified of being found out. Mm. Um, and that's not okay because that's actually not conducive to the situation that they're already in. That's extremely stressful. Mm-hmm. And then you add that layer to it as well. So we decided, well, what could that look like as a program? And we decided, well, education and awareness, again, is needed. We need to go into workplaces and we need to have meaningful conversations and we need to demonstrate the real, true, lived experience of going through these journeys and create an awareness around it. And then what we do is we also license um, bespoke content, which is a series of videos and written resources that you can't access on our website. They're just for corporate Mm. um, workplaces. And that content is bespoke to those places. But basically things like supporting a colleague through loss and management training videos, someone's come to you on your team, they've had a miscarriage. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? And we'll talk them through that in like really short five-minute bite-sized videos on purpose because we know everyone's busy. Um, but yeah, what we aim to do with the workplace program is to create awareness around the true impact of these issues and so that we can educate workplaces to become more supportive because you hear so many workplaces bang on about, we value our people. We're extremely empathetic. Um, we want empathy in our leaders. We'll prove it. <laughs> Let's see that then, right? Because we don't see that very much. So what we're doing is the organizations that we work with, there's added benefits coming out of this as well that they're like, oh, wow, when we address this issue, then all of a sudden we have this sense of community around this issue because these people have all been through this and are now supporting other people in our organization through this. And that's it. That's what's at the heart of what we do. So, yeah, we've worked with Commonwealth Bank. We've worked with Minter Ellison, Tabcorp. Um, we've got some other really exciting clients being announced this year who are going through the program. And it's amazing because it's just another ripple effect. Mm. It's like the Com- Commonwealth Bank has 50,000 employees who now have access to all of our content via their wellbeing platform. And that's incredible, right? We know, and we had a beautiful story come from Tabcorp, a lady who had used all of her sick leave up to have IVF treatment. <laughs> And she had nothing left and lost that baby. So it was obviously devastated. She'd had years of trying to get to that point in the first place. Um, and she was the first person to utilise their compassionate bereavement leave. And they actually give 10 days, not two days. So she had the space to grieve. And she also was validated by Tabcorp and by her managers that this is grief. We acknowledge that. We're sorry you're going through that. We're here for you. You're off. You're on bereavement leave. And that in itself is a huge step up. It's a validation that you lost manners and that we agree it's lost. Mm. So, yeah, incredible. I wonder what you'd find if you went into fertility companies um, and big fertility organisations. You know, you, you, you might assume that they would be understanding of these women, but I, I wonder if doing research in those areas would be interesting just as yeah, what I think would be interesting bright. to do is a research project with fertility specialists looking mm. to see how, uh, what words they use and how they uh, ex- express, you know, their, um, their apologies to their own patients. I think that would be a very interesting project to do as well because I suppose yeah. a lot of people assume that because we do this all day, every day, that we're good at it and mm. m- I think there could be wavering improvement there. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I absolutely agree. And that's something that we do do some health service um, training on language and we often go in and deliver in services too, but we predominantly had focus on EPAS clinics today. I think what might also be useful is uh, providing some support or an online module that you could provide uh, the secretaries or PAs working with fertility specialists, doctors, gynecologists, whoever, <laughs> because often what happens is the call comes through to our rooms mm. 
patient speaks to my PA first. Um, yeah. The patient's in tears. I've lost my baby. I've miscarried. I, I do wonder. I wonder what my PA says. So yeah. I just thought about that but, now and maybe. But um, also your PA mm. as well. Like what support do they have? Because to take those calls mm. on a regular basis, it's heartbreaking, right? Mm. That's not, it's a difficult subject and we acknowledge that. So I think there's there's more support needed on both sides of support for the for the woman who's going through that and what language is then how is the PA handling that and what support she's being offered but then there's also support for the person on the end of the phone. Mm. I think so I need to address basis. that with my PA tomorrow. I might have to ask yeah. her how she copes with things when she picks up that phone. Yeah, definitely. I wanted I to ask you. Um, sorry. I think it'd be a lot about listening, right? Yeah. It's a lot about like mm. being guided by the woman. Yeah, and giving her time. Yeah, and, mm. and you're right, being okay with silence and not really having to say anything. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to ask you more personal questions, not mm-hmm. to do so much with pink elephants, but before I did that, do you mind if we read out together it's the um, It's Okay pamphlet? No, it's beautiful. I'm very happy to read this one, yeah. Um, did you want to go first? Yeah, I would because then I don't get a big second line. <laughs> <laughs> I love those blood, but um, yeah. Um, to remember... It's okay to feel completely devastated. It's okay to hide away from well-meaning family and friends and give yourself space to process and grieve your loss. You have not only lost your baby, but also all the hopes and dreams that you had for them. It's okay to be jealous of anyone who has a baby or announces a new pregnancy. It's okay to have days where you cry even a few months after the miscarriage. Or years. Um, it's okay to feel temporarily disconnected from your other children. It's okay to grieve differently to your partner. It's okay to get ridiculously angry for no reason at all. It's okay to feel like you need to control every other aspect of your life. It's okay to question why this happened to you. It's okay to lose your confidence in other areas of your life. It's okay to feel like a failure as a woman. It's okay to believe that you will never have a baby. It's okay to be obsessed with conceiving another baby. It's okay to never want to try and have another baby. It's okay to want to obsessively hold and cuddle other people's babies. It's okay to not want to even look at anyone else's baby. It's okay to want someone to guarantee that it will never happen again. It's okay to feel completely out of control when no one can do this. It's okay to feel none of the above and to move on from this experience with little effect to your life. That's a lovely list. Oh, it's amazing. And we have to give credit um, to Terry Diamond, who's been a big supporter of our work again from the early days. She's a social worker at Royal Women's Hospital in Sydney and um, is also prized that as a bereavement counsellor with experience personal experience of miscarriages herself and she helped to co-create that resource with Gabby so her and Gabby put that one together and it, yeah. I, was gonna ask I haven't you. read that mm. I've got goosebumps now mm. <laughs> a long time yeah lovely I love that mm. a few more questions before we go um, <laughs> I'm wondering people in your life who have been your biggest inspirations who are they it's mm, a good one. Uh, my grandma was extremely strong and stoic, but sensitive as well. So she didn't work. Um, she was of that generation that didn't need to, but she was there for us all the time and she understood every one of her grandchildren and you could see that in her and 
she was a huge inspiration to me. Um, and I know she was extremely proud of me. She, she, she passed before I started this, so, but I know that she would also be really proud of what this does for women. Um, and then, you know, like everyone, you get asked these questions, a few things that I speak at and stuff now, and I know that everyone has them. Like, they look up and I could say, like, Ronnie Carr from Oz Harvest, because, again, saw a need 12 years of hard work and determination to allow organisation to where it is now. But the women that really amaze me every day are the women that pick themselves back up despite going through this and having no support. So 282 women today will go through this. The majority of those women are still highly unsupported and those are the women that inspire me to continue to do this every day. So are the women. Amazing. Mm. Yeah. I was actually thinking about my grandmother this morning. I was walking home Mm. from the gym and I was thinking about how strong she was. And so yeah. it's interesting that you talk about your grandma makes me have goosebumps this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Favourite books that you oh, wanted to share with us? Life-changing book for me was To Kill a Mockingbird and I studied it in English language in high school um, and it was the takeaway around empathy and that you can't look at anybody else's life and pass judgment or pass any kind of thought until you've walked in their shoes. And that's really difficult, right? Because then you read the whole Brené Brown argument around empathy and mm. you don't need to necessarily stand in other people's shoes. You just need to be there and be present for them. Um, but yeah, that book, to Kill, a Mockingbird, to Kill a Mockingbird, absolutely opened up my eyes to, I think, social change and what was needed. I think that was the start of where I would end up now. What, what decade was that released in? Oh, it's like... Years ago, so I read it in English no? language text, but it's really old. It would have been like the sixties or yeah. something, mm. Harper Lee. Mm. Um, but I, we read it. I five. How many years ago was that? High school, twenty-five, mm. maybe longer. Mm. Um, yeah, but we studied it then, and even then, it was a hard text to read. It wasn't easy, and I've tried to revisit and read it again as an adult. And as much as I remember profoundly how much that changed me, I think it's harder to read now as well because it wouldn't have the same impact because it already had that impact, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, they say that books and, and songs make the biggest impact on you when you're young and you're a teenager, a young adult. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that did. That really did, yeah. So on the note of songs, are there, are there certain songs that make you happy? Yeah, like things as silly as like Happy by Pharrell Williams. Like I love <laughs> That's a great like, song. It is, right? And I just have, I, I love I love music, absolutely love music. My husband will laugh if he's listening to this at all because I never remember names of songs at all. I'm terrible. But I do love nothing more that when I've had a really, this is a hard space that we work in. But then if I have a rubbish day or I have a hard day but productive day, there's nothing better than cranking up music and just dancing around your living room with the kids and just playing silly. And yeah, I think music has incredible power. That that song actually comes with a book. I've seen a, a kid's book. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the kid book. I haven't seen the kid book. I just, yeah. It came out when Georgie was around two. So for me, it was when I was having my miscarriages and I was everything was hard. And if we just needed to kind of like like feel not feel that we could put that song on and dance around and everything was okay what's your dream collaboration oh that's a good one there's so many we've had so many come true so yeah when we started pink elephants i said to gabby because when i then got pregnant with johnny at the same time we were saying it and i was like oh look at them baby cuddles i really like them can you imagine if we had a rainbow baby cuddle we'd love to dream how amazing would that be and then last year I met them at the Telstra Awards and we made that happen so it was just like this mind-blowing thing 
now I feel like we have to take this bigger and not, and I'm bigger for impact. But for me, I'm trying to, is there some kind of global collaboration with other researchers and other organizations where we, we come together and we say, this is not okay and it's not just happening here in Australia and that women across the world deserve better. And how do we together create systemic change that means that the next generation of women who go through this do not have to experience it in this way because it's a simple change. We're not asking for huge things. So for me, I'm kind of just working through those ideas right now. And that's part of the Westpac scholarship and lots of other things that I'm like learning and taking in at the moment, but I'm kind of mapping out what that looks like at the moment. And that, that hugely excites me. Yeah. That Westpac collaboration. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And lastly, top five tips that you can share with our listeners for coping with early pregnancy loss. Um, I think the It's Okay with us, read that one, um, because it's really okay to feel a million different ways in a million different days in a million different times. One minute you feel like this and the next you don't, and there's an acknowledgement around that. Um, the second one would be to have someone to have your back. Have a buddy. If that's not, if you might struggle for that to be your partner because they may be grieving and not reacting in the way that you expected either. So if you've got a close friend, if you've got a loved one that you can bring in and share this with, know that it's okay also not to have to share this with anybody. I remember my second miscarriage, I turned my phone off and I didn't tell anybody for days. I just, I actually couldn't process it myself and I wasn't ready to. So as much as you hear lots of advocating now on social media about sharing your story, understand that that's only okay when you're ready to do that. Definitely head to Pink Elephants and try and connect with other women in the groups. The groups are a really safe, supportive environment. They're private, they're closed. Nobody can see that you're in those groups. And we have lots of women that are in those groups that don't necessarily post things, but they and they'll direct messages and thank us because just by being in those groups is healing enough for them. Um, and then give yourself time and that absolutely sucks and I know that if you've been told today or recently that you've just lost your baby to miscarriage that that it will will be okay in time is not something that you want to hear and it's not about that it's more about giving yourself time to actually process what's going on and the loss that you're going through and that it's okay to grieve that and that grief isn't linear it doesn't just get better in a week or a month it takes time and I think time is the most precious gift we can all give ourselves so much more of. Yeah, and sometimes it's a lifetime of grief, lifetime of grief I would think, for many women. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I've changed forever from my losses. And again, I, I struggle to always want to speak on behalf of other women because it was all very different, but I will never be the same person again. And I'm four years since my last loss and have another baby since, but I still have moments where it hits me and it's, not okay and I get really sad and I have to get better understanding that that actually is okay to still have that and to still have those knee-jerk reactions and I still don't like pornography scans I had to have breast ones because of age recently and I I walked into the appointment and started crying and I couldn't understand and then I walked out and I was like oh because that to me is trauma that isn't a safe space I don't feel I didn't feel held or loved or protected there I was devastated and not offered any support so for me, that's an instance of trauma, and that, that I imagine that's something I'll have to deal with forever. Mm. And I'm, I, there is this thing called microchimerism, and it, mm. it talks about how uh, DNA from a fetus that you've ever carried mm-hmm. may still live with you for the rest of your life, flowing mm-hmm. in your in, in your blood. 
you know, and, and you know, so how could you ever, you know, That's expect to well, right? get over it, it, you know, and then I think that I hate that term the most, get over it, worst term ever. Mm-hmm. It is. That's not something you're meant to get over. No, that's right. Um, I don't think you have to get over it. I never want to forget. Like, I, we intentionally created those babies. We wanted those babies. We had imagined a future with those babies. And we dreamed of what that would look like. And that isn't something that I ever want to let go of. Mm-hmm. And that might be painful, but I don't feel like I have to let go of that. And it's a, it's a life form that has transformed. That's what it pretty much has been, I would yeah. think, for you, yeah. Thank you yeah, so much for sharing everything. Like you've shared so much Thank on you. this podcast. It's been amazing. I've learned so much from you. Thank you. And um, awesome. I, you know, especially reading that It's Okay with you has mm-hmm. been very special because, uh, yeah, that that should go to everyone, I would think. All fertility specialists should read this list with someone. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, it makes you realise, right? It's, it's beautiful, mm. it really is. Uh, so, and thank you for giving us the space to hopefully reach more women and be able to let them know that there's someone there for them. Best wishes for you. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, ladies, with Samantha. If you feel you need support with pregnancy loss, please reach out to the Pink Elephant Support. They have so many great resources. If you feel you want to help women going through pregnancy loss, please also connect with them. Please share this episode with others. Subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people I can interview or books to read. Until next time, stay fantabulous.